Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but first some breaking news and BC health officials confirming the first likely case of vaping-related illness in our province. It's just one of several under investigation right now involving patients who've shown symptoms after using e-cigarettes or similar devices. Our Richard Zussman is in Victoria tonight with more details. What do we know at this point, Richard, about this initial case? Sophie, we know the individual was vaping a nicotine-based product. They are a young person and they are now fully recovered. We don't know what part of the province this took place in. We don't know the gender or the age of the individual. We also know that Provincial Health is looking at seven different cases at this point. First, the confirmed case. They have ruled out two other cases, and there are four more cases they are investigating. This has become a major health emergency south of the border, where 126 people have died. We've seen a number of jurisdictions, including Washington State, take action, where they have banned flavored e-cigarettes. Here in Canada, we've seen now confirmed cases, two of them in Quebec, two in New Brunswick, one in Ontario, and this one in British Columbia. And the chief medical health officer, Bonnie Henry says she believes there will be more. We really actually don't yet know what is the exact cause of the illnesses we're seeing. That's why we're doing these very detailed investigations and we're sharing it across the country. We're sharing it with the United States. The current situation, the current regulatory scheme that was set up by the previous government doesn't work that well. Uh, I don't blame anyone for that. That's just a fact and that's why we're changing it. Change the key word there, Richard. Uh, what are those yeah. changes and when could they come into effect? Just spoke to Health Minister Adrian Dick. Sophie, he says those changes will be coming soon. He mentioned their regulations. He says the previous government ensured that there's only 600 places in British Columbia where you can buy tobacco, but there are 9,000 where you can buy vaping products. He says that has to change. They also will be targeting vaping towards youth and trying to prevent that. Also, there are some changes that Dix believes can happen at the federal level. He hoped that they would happen before the election. Election, they didn't. That includes restrictions around flavored product as well as the amount of nicotine in the product. But the promise from the province, Sophie, is that these changes will be coming soon. All right, we'll see where that goes. Thanks, Richard. Now, a Vancouver woman is undergoing her fourth surgery in five days after being hit by a vehicle and dragged for several blocks. Desiree Evancio's injuries are so severe. Her family hasn't even told her about some of them yet. As Jordan Armstrong reports, her medical team is considering a procedure that's only been attempted a handful of times. And a warning, some of the details are disturbing. There's been a lot of discussion on just different options and one that we were told yesterday was a face transplant, which I've never heard of before. Something never done before by doctors at Vancouver General Hospital. But Desiree Evancio's injuries are so severe 
that even some nurses have had to excuse themselves from treating her. Because of the significance of her face and what's missing, there's nothing to work with. Desiree's life changed forever early Saturday. Just after midnight, the 24-year-old somehow ended up beneath this van and trailer. She was dragged five blocks along East Hastings Street before the driver realized he'd hit her. Her whole body is injured. Um, uh, injured to the point that she won't be able to function properly and she just won't be the same person. Desiree, who used to enjoy swimming and hikes with her sister, will spend at least the next six months in hospital. Wednesday, she underwent more than eight hours of surgery to replace her cheekbone with bone taken from her leg. She has years, years of recovery and rehabilitation that she will probably have to live in the facility while she does it. And that will cost money, of course. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Friends have set up an online fundraiser to help the family. There's concern the U.S. driver's insurance may not provide much coverage. Vancouver police say the man in his 30s was arrested and released pending further investigation. So far, no charges, and he's free to leave the country. The investigation will determine what role um, alcohol or substance abuse did play or substance use did play uh, in the collision. So many questions, some too painful to answer. She knows her damages on her limbs, uh, but her face, she doesn't know. It, I don't want her to have to be stuck in a bed and constantly replay and think about it and what her future has. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Three alleged Metro Vancouver gang members have been charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Vancouver police say the men, all in their 20s, are connected to drug trade violence in and around Oppenheimer Park. Two of the suspects were arrested at a Burnaby Skytrain station on Saturday night. The third was taken into custody in his Vancouver home on Tuesday. The VPD says the arrests were part of Project Thunder, launched late last month when they received information about a plot against a known drug trafficker. These three individuals, uh, we believe, were uh, members of organized crime groups, namely the Independent Soldiers, and the Red Alert, which are both uh, organized crime groups, street gangs, that are involved in uh, drugs, weapons, and violence in the downtown east side. So it's our hope that these arrests will have uh, a noticeable impact on uh, safety. The trial for Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam, the man accused of murdering a Vancouver couple in their home, has hit a wall. Court proceedings now delayed until the new year. Ramina Dea has more on why the judge in the case has granted this lengthy adjournment. A disappointing blow to the victim's family and friends who have waited two years for this trial. Defense has been granted a significant adjournment, which will amount to a three-month delay to complete a psychiatric assessment. The evidence certainly points to Rocky Rambo, Wayne Nam Cam, being responsible for the crimes, said defense counsel Glenn Orris. But the issue is, what was Cam's state of mind? Did he know the difference between reality and fantasy? And was their intent to kill Diana Ma Jones and her husband Richard Jones on September 26, 2017? Crown's theory, Cam purchased a hatchet, gardening gloves, and a baseball hat at Canadian Tire two weeks before the murders with the intent to kill someone. 
Cam has pleaded not guilty to two counts of first-degree murder. The killings completely random. No connection between Cam and the victims. No previous criminal history at all, Oris told the court. Three months before the victims were found dead in the shower stall of their Marpole home, Cam, who has an economics degree, moved from Calgary to Vancouver. He was suffering from significant clinical depression, Oris said, adding that Cam had been involved in at least since adolescence in developing within his own mind and acting upon significant fantasies in which to compensate for what he considers to be deficiencies in his own life. He suffers from a significant gaming addiction, and I believe the evidence will demonstrate that he was regularly, before his arrest, spending 8 to 15 hours a day on his laptop, primarily gaming and also dealing with fantasies by way of comic books. Based on ongoing assessments by two doctors, defense says it's clear the crimes were committed in an altered state. If Mr. Cam has carried out these crimes without understanding the true nature of what he was doing, then there is the possibility of NGRMD not guilty by reason of mental disorder. I'm not sure, but there is a possibility. Defense's case is expected to take two weeks. Cam's family could be called to testify, and Cam might take the stand. The trial resumes January 20th next year. Romina Dea, Global News. Some unnerving video evidence presented today in another high-profile murder trial, this one for Gabriel Klein, who's accused of stabbing teenager Letitia Reimer at Abbotsford Senior Secondary nearly three years ago. As Grace Key reports, the court heard from police officers who took Klein into custody, and a warning again, parts of the story are disturbing. Compelling video shown in court today of Gabrielle Klein taken to the custody booking area after the stabbings. Now, Davin Turner with the Abbotsford Police took the stand. He said at some point Klein's breathing became more labored and he started sticking out his tongue. In the video, you hear officers telling Klein to take a deep breath. They ask him if he's sick. Handcuffed, officers are seen guiding him to the counter. He appears listless. He leans over the counter and coughs. Officer Turner testified that Klein started banging his head on the counter and then breathing heavily. In the video, you see officers holding on to Klein's head to prevent him from continually banging it. Paramedics later arrive. They ask him questions, but he still doesn't say anything. They guide him onto the stretcher. The officer saying Klein was placed on a stretcher and seemed to have a seizure. He was shaking. Klein was transported to Abbotsford Regional Hospital. The officer saying Klein was biting down on his teeth and he would make some noises when hospital staff would touch him. Another officer testified that at one point Klein was biting his arm. He checked for injuries, but there were no bite marks. Klein was moved to another room where officers say he was calmer. Now, defense is expected to argue that Klein is not criminally responsible for reason of mental disorder. Tomorrow, an emergency room doctor is expected to take the stand. In New Westminster, Grace Key, Global News. 
The man charged with deliberately setting a fire that caused millions of dollars damage to Emily Carr University has made his first court appearance. 40-year-old Nathan McLeod appeared by video link wearing a red prison jumpsuit. He's accused of two counts of break and enter and one count of arson. McLeod will remain in custody until his next court appearance on Friday. The fire shut down the school's Mount Pleasant campus for 10 days. Police are not revealing how McLeod may be connected to the school. The Surrey RCMP will soon be going through a leadership change. Assistant Commissioner Dwayne McDonald, the officer in charge of the Surrey Detachment, has been tapped to become the new head of federal investigative services and organized crime for the force in B.C. Just last week, McDonald made waves with some controversial comments about how Surrey Mounties have faced unfair criticism as the city transitions to a municipal force. McDonald is expected to stay in his current role until a replacement is named. Public safety is a partnership between the residents and the police. We will do our part. We, are, we have thrown all of our resources in terms of active enforcement, but also proactive and prevention programs, and we will continue to do so. It's our top priority. Port Moody Mayor Rob Vagramov is going back on a leave of absence until his sexual assault charge is resolved. Vagramov made the surprise announcement to council Tuesday night. Councillor Steve Milani will assume acting mayor duties. Vagramov originally left in March after he was charged based on allegations dating back to his time as a councillor. He returned to the job last month, but council asked him to go back on leave. Vagramov is expected back in court in November. We haven't even mentioned the federal election yet. Now is the time for many voters. The future of transportation is a big election issue, but few seem to know where the major federal parties stand on it. To drive home that point, the mayor's council has just released the Cure Congestion Federal Election Voters Guide, grading the parties on their commitments in the Lower Mainland. Ted Trenecki breaks it down. Like the issue itself, this video about curing congestion is confusing, but... There it is on the Mayor's Council Cure Congestion website, along with a voter's guide on where the federal parties stand on committing to public transit, especially the idea of reliable funding from Ottawa. If you look at the overall plan, the Cure Congestion plan, that actually is largely focused around creating a, a level of permanent funding that municipalities can count on. The Mayor's Council asks which party is committed to creating a permanent national fund for transit. The Green Party gets a yes, committing more than $3 billion a year. The NDP gets a yes, but it's not committing a hard dollar figure. The Liberals also agree to $3 billion or more a year, but the Conservatives get a no. Although they have committed to uh, at least support the existing projects that the existing government has already put forward, um, but didn't put any commitments towards expanding the transit system here in Metro Vancouver. The mayor's council is warning that mega projects like the SkyTrain extension to Langley and a proposed extension from Arbutus to UBC could be in jeopardy because none of that funding has yet been secured. The SkyTrain to, uh, to Langley and SkyTrain to UBC are, uh, are really contingent upon having a strong federal, federal partnership. But the mayor's council notes how the conservatives have a promise in their platform to fund two new multi-billion dollar subway expansion projects in Toronto. The new conservative government will work with the provincial government to get shovels in the ground for these two critical projects. But in Metro Vancouver, only a promise to help fund a new crossing to replace the Massey Tunnel. With the prospect of a minority government, I think that it really highlights the role that BC could very much have in shaping that face of, the, of a minority government.
Supporters say a committed federal transit fund ticks several boxes of campaign issues, affordable housing, livability, congestion, and climate change. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart has come out swinging at federal conservative leader Andrew Scheer and his party's policies, saying a conservative government would be disastrous for the city. We'll bring in Keith Baldry now for his take on this. Keith, Kennedy Stewart wasn't holding back. He outlined his reasons for it, but could this come back to haunt him? Well, certainly if Andrew Scheer becomes Prime Minister, it's going to be very difficult for Mr. Stewart to conduct much business uh, with Mr. Scheer, quite unlike what we've seen with under Justin Trudeau. Uh, this is quite extraordinary. I think you have to go back to 2004 when then-Vancouver Mayor Larry uh, Campbell uh, talked about the barbarians at the gate, about the prospect of Stephen Harper becoming Prime Minister. Uh, but uh, Kennedy Stewart went much further than Mr. Campbell did uh, back in 2004, saying that Andrew, an Andrew Scheer Prime Ministership would be a disaster for Vancouverites on all sorts of categories and be worse than Stephen Harper. I think when all other three other party leaders would meet and discuss, uh, you know, what's good for uh, the most important city on the west coast of Canada, you know, a very important city in Canada, and yet as federal leader, as somebody I know and I've talked with on many occasions, he still refuses to meet to talk about the issues that are important here, I think our relationship's already cooked. I think that uh, this is the best thing I can do is warn Vancouverites what's coming if he becomes Prime Minister and that he would be worse than Stephen Harper. So quite the attack there from a former NDP MP. Let's keep that in mind. Also, I think this is uh, done, Mr. Stewart speaking out, to help, I think, NDP candidates in, in Vancouver and to try to muscle up uh, an anti sheer vote out there. But clearly speaking his mind in a way we seldom see Vancouver mayors speak uh, during election campaigns. With just five days to go. <laughs> All right, thanks very much, Keith. Okay. Yeah, right now, though, we are learning new details tonight about seven members of a British family detained by U.S. immigration and customs enforcement. They were taken into custody after they crossed the border along Zero Avenue in Langley. They say it was an accident, but that story is starting to fall apart. Our Paul Johnson has the latest, and Paul, some new video is helping to shed some light on the story. Yes, Sophie, this video is illuminating. But first, an update on this story. Late this afternoon, the U.S. Bureau of Immigration and Customs Enforcement told us the family has now been flown back to Britain, so they're no longer in custody in the United States. This happened October 3rd on Zero Avenue, which is the last Canadian street before the U.S. border. This was north of the Washington state town of Linden. And as there's no fence there, it is possible to inadvertently enter the U.S., though it's debatable about how easy it is to do that. Now, this video released by the U.S. border officials shows the vehicle on the Canadian side. You'll see near the bottom, there's that movement on the screen. That is presumably the animal that the family had star said startled them and caused them to accidentally enter the U.S. But as the video shows, and as the U.S. officials have explained, the driver seems to make no attempt to stop or try to get back into Canada, which is what caused the Americans to think the family was trying to enter the U.S. illegally. Now, the family's lawyers had made the case that because they were taken to a special detention facility in Pennsylvania and had small children with them, that this was inhumane treatment, though a source with knowledge of this case, told Global News Today the family had actually tried to get into the U.S. earlier that day, were turned back. Apparently, they weren't able to provide a fixed home address back in the U.K. There were problems with the status of the rental car they were driving and 
When they were finally detained in the U.S., they had more than $10,000 cash with them. All major red flags for border guards in any country. Yeah, Sophie? I would think. All right, thanks for that update, Paul. Paul Johnson reporting. Well, tomorrow marks one year since cannabis was legalized in Canada. And while B.C. has an international reputation for its bud, the legal retail revenues have lagged in this province. Aaron MacArthur shows us what could be holding B.C. back from bigger sales and where the next wave of revenue could come from. This one looks nice. It hasn't quite been a year since Mike Babbins opened the doors on West 4th. Red tape delayed the opening of Evergreen Cannabis. But when they got the green light, they never looked back. There's been lots of learning. Legal sales in B.C. lagging well behind the rest of Canada. Some of the blame rests on slow government response to legalization. All lemon skunk. There are just seven government stores operating alongside about 100 private options. A much bigger aspect to B.C.'s slow rollout, the entrenched black market. Shifting people's buying patterns is going to take a while. People want, um, they want cannabis to be accessible, they want great quality product, and they want it for a good price. And so it's really up to us, the industry and the regulators and the federal government, to be able to give people what they need. In Quebec, the government isn't waiting for the regulated market to catch up. Instead, dropping the prices to compete with the gangsters who have had a virtual monopoly on marijuana distribution. It's no longer really a moral issue, it's an economic issue. So you want to restrain trade in the illicit market. And it seems to me that economic levers are going to be um, the, the most useful. It's a strategy the B.C. government is hesitant to adopt. Instead, letting the market deal with the price point. And that's what legalization has been about. Uh, it is to deal with that black market. It's not going to happen overnight. We've always been very clear on that. Uh, that was the experience in jurisdictions and states. It takes time. Overall, legalization has gone smoothly across most of the country. No major uptick in health or safety issues. The next hurdle comes edibles and topicals. Officially legal as of Thursday, not expected to hit store shelves until the new year. A major shakeup to the industry and a boost to provincial revenues. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, Halloween is just a couple of weeks away, and that means you'll soon be hearing the fireworks popping off around the region. But a Vancouver councillor is proposing a ban on personal use, limiting them only to sanctioned public events. Vancouver currently allows fireworks to be sold with a permit between October 25th and 31st, but they can only be set off on Halloween. A motion is being put forward at next Tuesday's council meeting calling for an end to retail firework sales by the year 2021. Right now, our fire rescue estimate about $400,000 in damage a year in the city of Vancouver alone. And of course, we get a lot of injuries of, to children. Children tend to be the, the, the most injured by fireworks, burns, and that kind of thing. Uh, and huge impacts on, on wildlife and domestic animal populations. It's extremely traumatizing for animals. But a ban does not work to mitigate against some of the concerns by the public and by regulators and by councillors. Uh, what it actually does is drive the market underground so consumers don't have the ability to go to reputable vendors in their local communities, talk with them on how to properly and safely use the consumer fireworks products. Instead, they are looking to other avenues to then purchase those consumer fireworks. Despite awareness campaigns and hefty fines, it appears many British Columbians still are not getting the message about distracted driving. Many feel it simply doesn't apply to them. 
As Kylie Stanton reports, more and more people are knowingly putting lives at risk. Talking, texting, scrolling, even navigating on the GPS. Was he in the uh, right turn lane? All of it making distracted driving the top contributing factor in deaths on BC's roads. Up to 77 people every year are dying just from distracted driving. To turn the statistics around, road safety professionals and first responders are starting here. Do we have some brand new drivers in the room? Hosting a forum with young drivers to try and effect change. So learning to make safer choices behind the wheel and avoid those distractions is what we're here to talk about. But the big question right now seems to be what exactly constitutes distracted driving? So just kind of let it sit wherever it sits in there. In recent weeks, Tickets have been handed out to drivers who claim their phones were simply stored like this. Use electronic device while driving. Josh Delgado is taking the matter to court, while this Richmond senior had her ticket cancelled after it was reviewed by the department. The only way, really, that people uh, legally should be using it is in a holder with one touch to answer or hang up a call. But according to the Traffic Injury Research Foundation, that's not happening. The number of drivers not focused entirely on the road is on the rise. In 2004, 33% admitted to driving distracted. In 2018, that number climbed to 76%. In that same time period, the number of people admitting to texting and driving has gone up 56%. And while three-quarters of Canadians now view distracted driving as more of a concern than drunk driving... That doesn't mean habits are changing behind the wheel. Increasing the number of police officers out there enforcing, increasing the fines, all those things are helpful, but this isn't going to solve this. This has to be a societal decision to solve it. And these drivers have the power to do just that. We believe that if we can influence your behaviour now, then this has been some time well spent. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A bizarre mystery out of the Netherlands tonight where seven people are said to have been found living in a hidden room in a farmhouse, possibly for years. A 58-year-old father and his six children, ages between 18 and 25, lived in a small, lockable room, possibly cut off from the outside world for the past nine years. Authorities were alerted when a man showed up at a local pub saying he had escaped from the home where his family had been waiting for the end of time. Well, President Donald Trump takes a parting swipe at Kurdish allies abandoned by the U.S. tonight as they face a brutal Turkish attack in northern Syria. This as we're getting a look at the threatening letter Trump has sent to the president of Turkey just before the onslaught began. Richard Engel reports from Syria. Tonight, Turkey is demanding U.S. allies the Kurds lay down their weapons or it won't stop its invasion of northern Syria, where Turkey is raining bombs and artillery on Kurdish towns. But President Trump says that's the business of Russia and Syria, whose forces have been invited in by the Kurds as U.S. troops were ordered out. And he's suggesting the Kurds, who fought shoulder to shoulder with American forces against ISIS, are letting ISIS prisoners go free to create a backlash against the U.S. People let some go. They opened a couple of doors to make us look as bad as possible. U.S. officials tell us that is not happening. Tonight, we're also seeing a letter President Trump sent to the Turkish president the day Turkey launched its invasion. Writing, let's work out a good deal. You don't want to be responsible for slaughtering thousands of people, and I don't want to be responsible for destroying the Turkish economy. And I will. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. 
But the war continued, and now elite U.S. special forces are watching the Turkish invasion, all from close by, but ordered not to intervene. Our soldiers are not in harm's way, as they shouldn't be, as two countries fight over land. That has nothing to do with us. And uh, the Kurds are much safer right now, but the Kurds know how to fight. And as I said, they're not angels. But the Kurds are not safer. They're running for their lives. Kurdish commanders told us President Trump is treating their lives like a joke. The president's ally, Senator Lindsey Graham, blasting the move. And do President Trump, if you're listening to this interview, if you remove all of our forces from Syria, you're throwing the Kurds over, ISIS will come back on your watch, and Iran will take over. Now, Lindsey Graham would like to stay in the Middle East for the next thousand years with thousands of soldiers and fighting other people's wars. I want to get out of the Middle East. In Health Matters tonight, the provincial government has released a study that it says provides dramatic proof that vaccines save lives. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the 12-year school-based HPV immunization program dramatically reduced the appearance of precancerous cells in young women. Immunizations save lives, and new statistics from the province prove just how effective they are. BC's decade-old school-based HPV immunization program has slashed the incidence of cervical precancer. What we were able to do was track young women who had had the vaccine and see what the impact was on their screening rates, on the, their cervical cancer screening results. What we found was that young women who had been vaccinated were about 60% uh, less likely to have precancerous lesions compared to young women who weren't vaccinated. Experts reviewed data from more than 35,000 BC women for the study. HPV, or human papillomavirus, is spread through sexual contact. It has been identified as the cause of almost all cervical cancers, a disease that kills 50 BC women every year. I mean, imagine an opportunity to prevent your child from getting cancer. I mean, what a great opportunity. So hopefully this will offer parents even more reassurance that this vaccine is not only safe, but incredibly effective as well. The vaccine is now available free for both boys and girls in grade six. In addition to preventing cervical cancer, it protects against anal cancer and some rare penile cancers. Two thirds and seven tenths of grade six students who are getting immunized, which uh, we can obviously do much better than that. We're there to do it. It's offered for free. The results here of, of this study show its value. BC's health minister and researchers hopeful that more children will get immunized and fewer British Columbians will be diagnosed with cancer in the years ahead. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A vehicle stalled on the tracks, the driver unconscious, and a train barreling down on it. How a quick-thinking police officer saved a life right after the weather forecast coming up. All right, and that weather forecast, miserable is what I'm going <laughs> to say, Chris. Filthy. Very good descriptions. Yes, that's for sure. The rain is eased off right now, so we're in a bit of a break and the winds are much lighter, but it was on and off throughout the day at one point quite stormy and you may have noticed a lot of leaves on the ground. I will show you an image a little bit later uh, looking back at the sunshine that we have. It seems like so far away now, doesn't it? Um, but this is your day tomorrow, everyone.
Similar to what we saw today. So yes, waves of rain along with windy conditions. So gusts for Metro Vancouver in the 50 kilometer an hour range. Uh, you may have a slow commute both in the morning and in the afternoon at the, as the waves look like they're timing just right for the commutes, unfortunately. And here is your school day forecast. So mild overnight. We're only dropping down to 10 degrees, but we're not warming up much at all tomorrow afternoon. Highs of 12 degrees with that rain. And again, uh, coming in waves. So here's that wave, the one that we saw earlier today it's eased off we'll see just showers overnight but then continuing <laughs> basically it just keeps coming keeps coming doesn't it into our friday we are expecting the winds to ease off but the rain just keeps coming and the key thing that i wanted to point out here is by friday morning so thursday night into friday morning you'll note quite a lot of this blue indicating that the freezing levels are going to drop so if you are traveling east of hope i uh, expect snowfall on the mountain passes friday morning into the weekend yeah because it has been mild over the last few days, uh, but that freezing level is going to drop. And a great reminder, this is stormy. Uh, we're sort of starting off the stormy weather uh, season, so make sure you check our app. It's free, and it's got a great resource. You can look at a map to show you where the rain is. You can have specific forecasts to your actual area, uh, not even just cities, even in between the cities. So there's your forecast for northern regions. Rain along the coast, mainly cloudy, but mainly dry for southern regions here. Bulk of the moisture falling along coastal regions regions with periods of rain and we'll see that on Friday. Also, the best chance of dry weather will be Saturday afternoon, but it will be brief because Sunday we're right back into the cloud, rain and wind. Here's that shot I was showing you. Remember those sun, beautiful sunsets we had day after day not too long mm, ago? You missed those. Looking yeah. back at that, yes. Gorgeous. Thank you, Christy. A heart-stopping brush with death in Utah this morning has all been caught on video. Let's go, get out of here. We got a plane coming. We got a plane coming. A quick-thinking highway patrol trooper came upon an unconscious driver in a car on the railway tracks with a train hurtling toward it. The officer had just seconds to act to get him out before the train struck. The driver had apparently suffered an unknown medical issue just prior to the crash, but is now at home, resting with his family. The hero cop says he was just doing his job, and it was a second and a half wow. Lucky before that train came through. Scary. Yeah, That's amazing. amazing. Okay, Squires here with sports. Yes, I am. Go for it. Thank you very much. Uh, we talked about this yesterday, mm -hmm. about how the Canucks needed their top scorers to get on the score sheet. And last night against Detroit, they did. Three points for Besser, three points for Pedersen. Let's not forget J.T. Miller, a couple of goals, because actually J.T. Miller has been Vancouver's most consistent forward in their first five games. But the most impressive moment, at least for me, was a defensive play by Elias Pettersson at the end of the first period. Watch. Or at the end of the second period. My apologies. Watch him get the puck here and watch the stick handling. On his knees, no less. And I'll take this. Oops, oh, through your leg. Oh, there I go, through my legs. Just keeping the puck away from the Red Wings. Like the high level of skill here is redonkulous. <laughs> turning him around. And the Canucks won it by the score of 5-1. to one. All right. Michael Hutchinson, Toronto in Washington tonight. Was a 2-0 lead for the Leafs at one point. And then Jenny Kuznetsov, that would make it 2-2. And then watch this play by Alex Ovechkin. You think he's going to take the big slap shot. Nope. Over to John Carlson. Goal. He's clever, that Ovi. <laughs> so last night... 
Canada's men's soccer team beat the USA 2-0 in Toronto. It was the first time, first time, Canada has beat the Americans since April 2nd of 1985, when people knew who REO Speedwagon was. When the Police Academy movie franchise was only on Police Academy number two. And an iPhone was if you actually drew an eye on your phone. But last night, Alfonso Davies in Canada won that game, and it's a sign that Canada's young players have talent and promise. Going to get a good touch on it. Fraser to Arfield. He's got Arfield across. Davies is there. It's in. It's over the line. Alfonso Davies. While soccer officials in the United States Davies were stunned at losing to Canada, Canadians like Whitecaps coach Mark DeSantos was not surprised. He felt this victory was to be expected. One, it means a lot. It's a great work and, 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 and great result for, for the country. Two, it's a little bit normal, in my opinion, due to the moment where we are uh, as a Canadian um, generation of players and where the United States are. So I don't think it's a big surprise. I wasn't surprised at all. I think we're as good or better. So for me, when I analyze teams, I don't analyze the history. I analyze how good are they today. And today, Canada cannot play the United States with any kind of symptoms of inferiority because they're not inferior. Canada! Oh, baby! Elliot Kipchoge holds the world record for the marathon at 2 hours, 1 minute and 39 seconds. He set that at the Berlin Marathon last year. But that's not the fastest marathon he's ever run. This past weekend, he broke the 2-hour barrier. But because of how he broke it, it's not an official new record. But it is really, really amazing. Elliot Kipchoge storms into the history books in Vienna. It's one of the greatest athletic achievements of our generation. Elliot Kipchoge becoming the first marathon runner to break the two-hour barrier. Kipchoge covering 42.2 kilometers in a mind-blowing one hour, 59 minutes, 40 seconds. I've tried. I'm the happiest man to run under two hours in order to inspire many people, to tell people that uh, no human is limited. You can do it. I'm expecting more of the athletes in this all of the world to run under two hours. I'll measure your foot. The reverberation from Kipchoge's sub-two-hour marathon is being felt all over the world. Peter Butler won Canadian National Championships in the 5,000 and 10,000 metres. Butler represented Canada at the Commonwealth Games and would have been an Olympian in 1980 had our country not boycotted. His fastest marathon from three decades ago remains one of the top five times posted ever by a Canadian. Your fastest marathon ever was? Two hours, 10.56. How impressed were you with what you saw on Sunday? Uh, it's mind-boggling. Um, it's so far ahead of what uh, I thought people were at at this time. I knew eventually someone would break two hours, but it, at this time it was quite an achievement. Kipchoge's historic run isn't one for the record books, though. It's not officially recognized as a world record because his sub-two-hour effort was supported by a rotating running team of pace setters and nobody else. The marathon course in Vienna was also tailored for speed, including a car outfitted with lasers to indicate the best place to run. I would love to see that record broken on a legitimate marathon where the record actually counts. Or they call it marathon best, not a record. Does it diminish it, the accomplishment at all, the fact that it was on a course that was basically designed to break two hours? Yeah, or is it still quite the accomplishment? No, it does diminish it because uh, it's under ideal conditions with 30 pacers, which would never be allowed in a regular marathon. 
now on a record-eligible course here in Chicago. This was the scene on Sunday in Chicago. Bridget Koske shattering the women's marathon world record by 81 seconds, a record which stood for 16 years. So how much faster can humans go? Now they're running a marathon at 4 minutes and 32 seconds a, a mile, which is what we used to run a 10K at in my best days. The performance is right up there with, you know, like the accomplishments of Sidney Crosby or Wayne Gretzky or any, anybody that we, we celebrate. To have somebody run under two hours in a marathon is, as I said earlier, it's mind-boggling. To think that someone could run 68 seconds per 400 meters for 104 times with no recovery or 432 per mile for 26 miles, 0.2, and, and, and not have any recovery and still look like at the end that he, he had something left. A lot left. <laughs> Thanks, Squire. <laughs> a boy from Langley got a lot more than he bargained for while magnet fishing in a local creek. John Hua shows us the potentially explosive find the youngster pulled out of the mud. From the minute James Yonkman saw it on YouTube, the 10-year-old from Langley was hooked. You just get a powerful magnet and then attach it to a rock and just throw it off a bridge. Better known as the elite sport of magnet fishing, Yonkman's first attempt became a family affair. There's little pieces of all kinds of stuff down there, I don't know. I wasn't really expecting much, just a bunch of garbage. But it didn't take long for this natural to have something on the line. I was like, everybody, I got something. Beginner's luck, maybe not the best way to describe it. And I seen the little bump things in it. I was like, oh, is that a grenade? And then my stepdad grabs it and he's like, that's a grenade. They all kind of took off off the bridge and I, I myself, I just, I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want anybody else to touch it. Stuck with a potentially explosive catch, the family called the police. We've confirmed with uh, the explosive demolition unit that it was a grenade, but it was in such poor condition, they couldn't tell whether it was actually inert or active, so they are going to dispose of it uh, appropriately. Pretty crazy because also it was the first thing I found, so it was pretty cool. While Yonkman's version of the big one technically got away, this kid is no guppy to the magnet fishing game. He got proof. All right, for all his friends, this is James. He was magnet fishing here, and he pulled up a grenade. And we're here to deal with it. With this trusty rope and magnet, young James can't wait to see what he catches next. Do you hope that this is the last grenade that you find, though? No. <laughs> this is fun. No, I don't want to find another grenade. John Hua, Global News. That is really cool. And that was his first time. Yeah, amazing. I think a lot, if kids are watching, a lot are going to want to try magnet fishing now because it looks pretty cool. Who knows what you can pull up from down there? Mm, I don't know if the parents are going to want them to try that it. Could, that could be true. <laughs> All right, stay dry out there, everyone. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night.